God dwells in his holy house and unites all those who dwell therein. We come to this feast of the Holy Family, in a sense by God becoming man and being born in the, uh, in the manger scene that we have in our church. It reminds us really what God's house is, or what families are supposed to be. They are supposed to be the house of God. On this feast of the Holy Family, the liturgy draws our attention to the crib, to the manger, to Bethlehem, to the simplicity, the poverty of that scene, reminding us of the mystery of God's humility. The God whom the earth cannot contain lies in a manger from which animals normally eat. He allows himself to be subordinate to a man who is not his father and to a woman who, like her husband, is a mere creature. As St. Bernard of Clairvaux comments, Who obeyed? Whom did he obey? God obeyed man. Yes, the God to whom the angels are subject was subject to Mary, and not only to Mary, but also to Joseph. For God to obey a woman is humility without parallel. Learn then man to obey. Learn, O earth, to be submissive. God subjected himself to men. And do you, desiring to rule others, place yourself above your Creator? By planning to come into the world as a child born into a family, our Lord shows us by his own life the order of things as intended by God. To our apparently enlightened world, our enlightened generation, the principles enunciated in the first and second readings today seem retrograde and repressive. They appear to emphasize a a patriarchy that the feminist movement of the 1960s and onwards has sought to cast aside. Yet patriarchy and matriarchy are not in God's plan set one over against the other, but are at the service of one another, and more importantly, of the family. From the book of Sirach that we read today, we heard God sets a father in honor over his children, a mother's authority he confirms over her sons. I suspect my family was untypical in many ways, but maybe typical in this regard, that whereas my father thought he ruled a house, it was in fact my mother who was in charge. But on not a few occasions when we would ask dad if we could do something, have something, go somewhere, he would reply, go and ask your mother. But the book of Sirach isn't simply advocating to the father a go-and-ask-your-mother approach to confirming her authority over the children. The mutual partnership of the father and mother, the love that they have for one another, the way they mutually honor one another, is witnessed by the children, who then comfort and console the parents by the respect they show both. He who obeys his father brings comfort to his mother, we heard from that same reading. So think back to the Holy Family. Even though Mary was immaculate, sinless, full of grace, and truly the mother of Jesus, can you imagine anything other than Mary being pleased in seeing Jesus obey Joseph, whom we often describe as his foster father? St. Paul gives a beautiful uh, description of how we should live in the household of God, in the family that is the church, how we should relate to one another. But these also are to be applied 
in family life. Forgiveness, humility, love. The peace, he says, into which you were called into one body. Well, in marriage, man and a woman become one flesh, one body. It is the Lord's wish, therefore, that there be peace between the spouses and in the family. So what are we to make of St. Paul's teaching, wives be subordinate to your husbands, as is proper to the Lord? Here again, sacred scripture teaches us the right ordering of things. As Christ is head of the church, and the family is the domestic church, so the husband is the head of the family. But this requires of the husband a high standard of Christian living. The husband must in every way aspire to live a Christ-like life. He must put his wife and family above self. He will be utterly faithful. He will sacrifice himself for his family. He will give and not count the cost. As the priest, as it were, of the home, he will lead his family in prayer. After admonishing wives to be subordinate to their husbands, St. Paul admonishes husbands to love their wives. And if we read elsewhere in St. Paul's writings, in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, St. Paul will add that husbands must love their wives as Christ loves the church. That is, being prepared to give his life for his wife, for his bride, to die on the cross for his bride, and which is again a priestly way of living, a sacrificial way of living. If a husband is truly Christ-like, why wouldn't a wife want to entrust herself and her family to him, and in that sense be subordinate to him? So men, husbands, fathers, my brothers in Christ, we need to be Christ-like. I too, as the husband, as it were, of God's people, must love my bride, that church, in that priestly, sacrificial manner. And this headship of the family is exemplified in the Gospel today. As Herod plotted to destroy the Christ child, the angel of the Lord directs Joseph, the head of the family, to take Jesus and Mary from Bethlehem and to flee into Egypt. We read that Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Some three years later, after Herod had died, the angel again tells Joseph to take the family back to Israel and to Nazareth. And so he does. Herod's hatred of the child and his search and destroy mission continues today as the princes and rulers of this earth undermine the family structure as willed by God. With the reordering of sex or the disordering of sex away from procreation through contraception. The abortion industry that, like Herod, searches for the unborn child to destroy him or her. The feminist movement that seeks to be everything that Mary is not. They, they, not, they do not want to be virgins, neither do they want to be mothers. Two characteristics which describe Mary most perfectly, virgin and mother. 
They seek to be freed from their natural ordination towards motherhood and nurturing, which obviously requires dependence upon a a responsible husband and father. The promotion of homosexuality as normal. So-called same-sex marriage. The ideology of transgenderism. And of course the cult of the individual strikes at the heart of the family which is a place of mutual self-giving. St. John Paul II famously declared, as goes the family, so goes society. So we should pray to the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary and Joseph for all our families. And should there be families that are going through difficult times, we should support them uh, in the, in, through those trials. And what about those who are not married? who are single, celibate, consecrated to virginity. Sometimes on this feast day they complain, what about us? You speak about marriage. What about the single? Well, St. John Paul II in his apostolic exhortation Familiaris Consortio on the Christian family in the modern world speaks to such people to affirm them in their state of life and vocation. And so I'd like to conclude by reading a few paragraphs of number 16 of that apostolic exhortation of St. John Paul II, Familiaris Consortio, in which he speaks about marriage and virginity or celibacy. Virginity or celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of God not only does not contradict the dignity of marriage, but presupposes it and confirms it. Marriage and virginity or celibacy are two ways of expressing and living the one mystery of the covenant of God with his people. When marriage is not esteemed, neither can consecrated virginity or celibacy exist. When human sexuality is not regarded as a great value given by the Creator, the renunciation of it for the sake of the kingdom of heaven loses its meaning. Rightly, indeed, does St. John Chrysostom say, whoever denigrates marriage also diminishes the glory of virginity. Whoever praises it makes virginity more admirable, admirable and resplendent. What appears good only in comparison with evil would not be particularly good. It is something better than what is admitted to be good that is the most excellent good. In virginity or celibacy, the human being is awaiting, also in a bodily way, the eschatological marriage of Christ with the Church, giving himself or herself completely to the Church, in the hope that Christ may give himself to the Church in the full truth of eternal life. The celibate person thus anticipates in his or her flesh the new world of the future resurrection. By virtue of this witness, virginity or celibacy keeps alive in the Church a consciousness of the mystery of marriage and defends it from any reduction and impoverishment. Yo voy a repetir algunas de estas palabras en español. Espero que los que hablan español, que el mensaje que estoy intentando llegar a ellos si si pueden invitar a más por venir a nuestra misa. 
¿Qué deberíamos hacer con la enseñanza de San Pablo, esposas estén o subordinadas a sus maridos como le corresponde al Señor? Aquí nuevamente la Sagrada Escritura nos enseña el orden correcto de las cosas. Como Cristo es la cabeza de la iglesia y la familia es la iglesia doméstica, el esposo es la cabeza de la familia. Pero este requiere del esposo un alto nivel de vida cristiana. El esposo debe en todos los sentidos aspirar a vivir una vida como la de Cristo. Debe poner a su esposa y familia por encima de sí mismo. Debe ser completamente fiel. Debe sacrificarse por la familia. Él dará y no contará el costo. Como sacerdote del hogar, cuidará a su familia en oración. Después de amonestar a las esposas para que se subordinen a sus esposos, San Pablo amonesta a los esposos a amar a sus esposas y en el quinto capítulo de su carta a los Efesios agrega como Cristo amó a la iglesia, es decir, estar, estar preparado para dar su vida, morir en la cruz por su esposa. De nuevo, una forma sacerdotal de vivir y sacrificarse. Si una esposa es verdaderamente como Cristo, ¿por qué una esposa no quería confiarse a sí misma y a su familia a Él? Y en ese sentido está subordinada a Él. Entonces, hombres, esposos, padres, hermanos míos, debemos ser como Cristo. Yo también, como esposa del pueblo de Dios, debo amar a mi esposa, la iglesia. Este liderazgo de la familia se ejemplifica en el Evangelio de hoy. Cuando Herodes conspiró para destruir al niño Jesús, el ángel del Señor dirige a José, el jefe de la Sagrada Familia, a tomar a Jesús y a María de Belén y huir a Egipto. Leemos que José se levantó y tomó al niño y a su madre por la noche y se fue a Egipto. Algunos años después, según la tradición, después de que Herodes había muerto, el ángel nuevamente le dice a José que lleve a la familia de regreso a Israel y a Nazaret. El odio de Herodes hacia el niño y su misión de buscar y destruir continúa hoy mientras los príncipes de esta tierra socovan la estructura familiar diseñada por Dios. Por la reordenación, o mejor dicho, la desordenación del sexo lejos de la procreación a través de la anticoncepción. La industria del aborto que, como Herodes, busca niños no nacidos para destruirlos. El movimiento feminista que busca ser todo lo que María no es. No quieren ser ni, virgen, ni vírgenes ni madres buscando liberarse de su ordenación natural hacia la maternidad y la crianza, lo que obviamente requiere dependencia de un esposo de un padre responsable. La promoción de la homosexualidad como normal, el llamado matrimonio del mismo sexo, la ideología del transgénero, el culto del individuo. El Papa San Pablo II famosamente declaró como va la familia, así va la sociedad. Oremos a Jesús, María y José, la Sagrada Familia, por nuestras familias, especialmente aquellos que pueden estar experimentando dificultades y apoyémonos en sus pruebas. ¿Y qué pasa con aquellos que no están casados, que son solteros, solteras, célibes, consagrados, consagradas a la virginidad? 
El Papa San Juan Pablo II les habló en su exhortación apostólica familiar consorcio sobre la familia en el mundo moderno y es vital afirmar a estas personas en, en sus estados de vida. Permítanme concluir leyendo algunos párrafos de la familia Familiaris Consorcio número 16. La virginidad y el celibato por el reino de Dios no solo no contradicen la dignidad del matrimonio, sino que la presuponen y la confirman. El matrimonio y la virginidad son dos modos de expresar y de vivir el único misterio de la alianza de Dios con su pueblo. Cuando no se estima el matrimonio, no puede existir tampoco la virginidad consagrada. Cuando la sexualidad humana no se considera un gran valor donado por el Creador, pierde significado la renuncia por el reino de los cielos. En efecto, dice acertadamente San Juan Crisóstomo, quien condena el matrimonio, priva también la virginidad de su gloria. En cambio, quien lo alaba, hace la virginidad más admirable y luminoso. En la virginidad, el hombre está a la espera, incluso corporalmente, de las bodas escatológicas de Cristo con la Iglesia, dándose totalmente a la Iglesia con la esperanza de que Cristo se dé a esta en la plena verdad de la vida eterna. La persona virgen anticipa así en su carne el mundo nuevo de la resurrección futura. En virtud de este testimonio, la virginidad mantiene viva en la Iglesia la conciencia del misterio del matrimonio y lo defiende de toda reducción y empobreci empobrecimiento.